0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April and looking for my best buddy there, Seth Robinson. Seth, you out there?
1: I'm here. How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well.
1: We're recording a little early this week because you're traveling.
0: Yeah, I'm getting ready to head down to Florida tomorrow for IT Nation, ConnectWise's big event. So it'll be a big difference in temperature. I checked, it's like 88 down there, so it'll be nice. I didn't put away my summer presentation clothes. Um, so I'll get to wear them one last time this year because I don't think I'm going anywhere warm again until uh, next year, I guess. But yeah, so thanks for accommodating me.
1: Oh yeah, anytime. I mean, we couldn't do it without you.
0: Well, that's very
1: true. And um, this true. is a uh, a very special episode. We we did this last year and decided to make it an annual tradition with uh, with the holidays approaching. This is our holiday episode of Volley. Uh, like last year, we're going to kind of walk through the upcoming holidays. Um, by the time this posts, one of them will be passed. But we've got Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then the uh, you know end of the year holiday bash. So we're going to talk about... One thing in technology that scares us, one thing in technology that we're thankful for, and one thing that's on our wish list. And an addition to last year is that we decided to not just do it on our own. We decided to bring in a, a guest, and this is someone that we've had on the podcast before and enjoyed having very much. Randy Gross is the CIO at CompTIA and Executive Vice President of Certification Operations, right?
2: That's right. Thanks for having me. I did that from memory. I mean,
0: wow, that's a mouthful of a title (laughs) there. Yeah, it is.
2: I decided to add as many words as I could. Um, (laughs) Worked out okay.
0: Do you put that like on a business card or your signature, the whole thing on your email?
2: I I do abbreviate it. I don't want to store too many things in data
1: centers. I feel like that's irresponsible. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> ha- have you felt a difference with the addition of words in the <laughs> amount of authority you have?
2: No, it more is more embarrassing. It's
1: <laughs> I, I just want to do my job,
2: basically.
0: <laughs> well, we're happy to have you, Randy. Thanks for coming back. Yep. We don't, we've don't. we had very few repeat guests so far in all our years doing this, so you're one of them now.
2: Good. Right. I'm excited. Yeah, let's, let's roll.
1: Yeah, let's get it started. Um. We're going to start with something in technology that scares us. Each one of us kind of chose a holiday here, and so I've got the first one up. And we've touched on this topic quite a bit and you know don't really want to belabor the point too much. But just as the technology industry has been maturing and is going to continue to mature, I think the thing that frightens me a little bit uh, or, or gives me pause is... The the industry not fully understanding its connection with society. And and I think that this is, again, a natural thing that happens. You know, if if the industry was previously just kind of selling into the enterprise and they had to speak the language of business. Now that they are growing and having a broader societal impact, they have to understand what's going on there. And I don't think we always see that. And I think sometimes it's out of hubris. Sometimes it's maybe out of naivete. And, And a lot of companies are working hard to try to improve it. But I think we still see this popping up you know, quite a bit in, in trying to wrap our arms around the scope that technology is able to bring and what the responsibilities are of these technology companies. And, and the, the place that this tends to lead is regulation. And I think there are a lot of good reasons that we want self-regulation within the industry. But that just means that these companies kind of have to up their game and bring in the right people that can speak that language instead of just, you know, the speeds and feeds and what businesses are buying.
0: Yeah, I think there's sort of a um, a moral imperative a little bit for companies to walk the walk and, and, and do the right thing and understand that it isn't just selling products. I know business is business and we're all trying to make a profit here, but the ramifications of some of the things that the technology industry just breeds naturally in the, you know, that it owns data, that it manages data, that people's personal information is involved makes it incumbent upon companies to not be able to stick their head in the sands. And Seth, you and I have talked about this a lot, like a rideshare company saying that, you know, we're not in the transportation industry, we're, you know, or we're not, we're a technology business, or vice versa. It's 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 just realizing that, okay, wake up everybody, You you do have more responsibility here than you care to deal with. And most more mature industries, like industrial manufacturing, and, you know, the automotive industry, or the aircraft industry, they're regulated so heavily because they need to be held accountable for the impact that they have, which is broad. And I think we're just in that infancy of the tech industry finally getting that or starting to realize they have to get that.
2: Yeah, there's a – who's a PE guy, maybe maybe venture capital, uh, Roger McAfee, who I'm sure if you guys are familiar with or not, but he's written a couple books on this, this issue. And basically the idea is a lot of technology companies have basically taken what they've wanted and they haven't asked. So if you think of privacy or data or whatever, it's a little – whatever they want they can take so the, the example that he uses frequently is Gmail so every every email that comes to Gmail is scanned the person who sent that didn't consent to that but they just did it so the mechanics of actually having to go to every single person who sends one in obviously would be impossible in that, in that model but that's how they provide the service that allows for millions probably billions of people to utilize it unfortunately If you think about the long-term societal impacts, Carolyn, you're you're right. Like there's a moral imperative here that you sit and you're like, there's got to be a better balance here. And I I think we're getting there. I saw some of the testimony that Zuckerberg had this week. I mean, it was last week, but it was. (laughs) It's almost striking to see like how flummoxed the tech industry can be sometimes by asking, by being asked questions that are just so obvious. And I, you know, so it's that that's definitely scary for sure.
1: Yeah, and and I I think the the regulatory environment that's been in in place for a long time hasn't evolved to a modern digital environment, and and so I think it's really difficult to say, well, these regulations should apply because in, in a lot of cases they don't. You know, we uh, we've talked about before any regulations that were in place to protect consumers for like price gouging. Well, all these services are free, so you know th- that doesn't apply, and so it needs to be thought about differently. And most of the people, you know, setting policy have a million things on their plate and they need help from groups like our advocacy team in understanding the issues. And I I think that the companies in the industry, they they want to own this uh, and they they, they need to kind of understand the the impact and, and, again, bring in the right people and work on it in the right way rather than, you know, like you were saying, just kind of being flummoxed by some things that are happening in society.
0: Yep. I think you're right though, Seth, that like a regulatory system of laws and regulations and rules has not been updated to the digital age and I think back to when I was a journalist and the whole thing with Microsoft and Netscape, If because I'm dating myself, but I I think you guys know, so, um, and and the whole antitrust stuff that was going on, that was very much, um, it was the first time technology companies were really embroiled in something like that, that big. But I don't think we've really changed much of our regulatory frame since then. I mean, we still thought we talk about monopolies. We still talk about antitrust in that way. We, we still regulate very similarly to old-school brick-and-mortar type companies. And that isn't really the tech industry's problem. It's really more of our governments and municipalities, their issue. And there's got to be some sort of cooperation, I believe, between the two uh, in order to update things. Because if we just stay with antiqu- antiquated types of, of of regulatory stature, then it's not going to work.
2: Yeah, and it's a tough one, too, because the regulation of an airplane is pretty cut and dry. You don't want them falling out of the sky. You know, you right. Don't, right, and so you, you want to be safe, and et cetera. The tough part with tech is... You create these bubbles. And so you create a, a contained bubble where everyone thinks the same, talks the same, looks the same. And they only, only want to surround themselves with that because that's the, what the algorithm is literally trained to do. And so what happens is you get tribalism and, and a lot of the other societal impacts. And we're looking at that from a very high level to your initial point. Where does tech fit in society? It's literally shaping society. Mm-hmm. And if you, think, if you think in those terms, who's controlling that? We're, we have completely abandoned control of that. And, and then you get into the free speech arguments. Mm-hmm. So, well, should we control that? Well, if it creates societal impact, we get to decide that. We literally, we're, we are, you know, the, the benefit of the U.S. is we get to, to make the rules. So we, we do have an opportunity to do that. It is not easy, though. Um, no. By any means. So you have scared me the day
1: before yes.
0: Halloween. I'm frightened before tomorrow.
1: Well, the good part about starting out with the scary one is that the next two are more positive. So we'll, we'll move on then, and we'll, we'll find something to be thankful for. So, Randy, I think this is yours.
2: All right. Seth and I, and, and we said this on the last podcast, and sorry if, if it's a repeat,
1: uh, but Seth and I have known
2: each other since 1991. So I'm thankful for Seth, first of all. <laughs> We've known each other a long time. Really long, Um, but that goes actually to the theme. So the area I'm thankful for, and I I struggled actually to narrow this down, but I'm gonna try, is people. I'm thankful for the people that are involved in this industry, because everything that we talk about, granted, it could be bits and bytes, or, or steel on racks or whatever, but ultimately it's people that are behind every one of the decisions that gets made on what to do, how we're implementing those things, how we're supporting people, and how we are making society better. Each of those is not—it's not a bot that's running that. It's there's there's people that that do all these things. And so at CompTIA specifically, I have the opportunity to run our exam development business as well as our certification operations. It's basically people taking exams and then all the service that goes on behind that. And so as part of that, I get to go to some of our partners and visit with the students, with the instructors, with the people that are really amping up to be part of this industry. And the the look on their faces when they're done with an exam, I've seen it literally happen where they've got an offer ready to go from any number of providers in, in the area. So Colorado Springs, especially, is very heavy in defense. And there's a constant need for site professionals. So when I see people's desire to be part of that, I think it's really something that's just a, it's remarkable to be a part of and something that Humanizes what can be a pretty dry business that I get to see, I guess, the supply of, of
1: what makes the thing run. I think that's a great take. And I, I like the way that it connects to the previous one that if we've got these really difficult problems that need to be solved, we're probably not going to solve them through code you know, or, or algorithms or whatever. It's going to be people understanding the nuance and getting in there. And I think this is one of the themes that we've always had when we talk about the automation of jobs—that yeah, things are definitely going to change, uh, and certain jobs are going to be impacted. But ultimately, we're we're driving towards the higher value stuff, and the people that are involved are the ones that are going to help unlock that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I um one of the things that I am proud of working at Comtia is is the effort that we put on trying to empower people out there in their careers and to um, try to recruit. Younger people to get involved in technology who may never have thought about that as a possibility for them. In particular, girls. I have daughters, so that sort of gets me excited. Uh, And and I think what you were saying, Randy, about seeing people just genuinely happy and grateful to pass an exam and know that they've got a job waiting for them—that it 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 just it it, it's a heartwarming feeling, and it makes you realize, you know, we're not for all of the negative headlines that we've been discussing and having to view on a regular basis that there is there is a lot of good and a lot of optimism within this industry and the fact that we drive so much change and technology isn't going away. It's just what we do with it, and what we do with it is the decision of, of, of the humans, the people behind it. It's not the decision of the machines or automation. It really is about the human element, and uh, and that I, I love that one. I'm thankful for that too.
2: Yeah, the, it, it's it's remarkable to think through – if you think back to sort of the innovations, with, you know, with automation or creative destruction or however you want to call it, like, technology has advanced society. We we have destroyed many jobs and we've created many things and many more jobs on top of it. It's, you know, it's sort of the altruism of things. And I swear, this is not a CompTIA advertisement, but I am I guess I can do one. I can make the rules. It's American. do whatever you want. So, this is volley. Brandy. Yeah, that's right. If it, it, I was thinking, like, maybe you could hit hit. What would it be if, like, only one of you is doing it? You're kind of hitting it against the wall. It's is, like what, that paddle board <laughs> thing with a rubber ball on a string. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, we could. I don't know what that. Yeah, yeah, paddle board <laughs> string. Um, but no, I think the uh, the one thing that I think most people may not know about Comptia is the actual volunteers and the sacrifice that people make to help build all these instruments of assessment. So we have a a bank of probably 400-ish subject matter experts from all over the world who will come in. um, And we pay a stipend to help cover some of the the costs. But they'll come in. Some of these guys are taking their own time. So not taking time off. Their employers aren't providing time, but they're literally taking vacation to come help build exams. Just let that settle in your brain for a second, which (laughs) is just... I'm very grateful for it, but it's pretty mind-blowing. But these are guys, and and I've sat in these discussions, um, when they're going over our objectives or writing questions, et cetera. And the passion that they have is amazing. And they're sitting here inside a room with no windows for days to, to, to make this stuff work. And it's made a tremendous impact for decades. And so it's those little decisions that the industry has supported for decades, that have put put CompTIA where it is, and also the industry where it is. So I think you look at that kind of thing. You can you could say the same th- same thing about the open source crowd. I think there's a lot of people that work on many task forces for government agencies as well for free that make this valuable. So it, this is not billionaires sitting in Silicon Valley. This is these are guys from you know sometimes colleges in the middle of the country coming in and they really know what they're doing. You know that to me is is is, is really a huge testament to the industry.
0: It's really a lot of our members do the same thing. I'm always amazed at how many volunteers in our, from within our membership here at CompTIA are willing to jet around and attend this meeting, that meeting, work on this project, that project, all on their you know, all on their own time. And it never ceases to amaze me and and that they would just want to genuinely forward the industry. Uh, it's it's great.
1: Yeah, and we we do a good job in membership, like with Comptia World or at our events, of, of highlighting some of these people that are really giving their time. And another really inspiring part of that is so many of them have really good intent at heart. And I, I think that as we've seen, you know, some of the billionaires or whatever, some of them might have poor intent. And then with the way things get portrayed. I think others get assigned poor intent, and people begin assuming things. And uh, it's it's important to be able to showcase that a few bad apples don't ruin the bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we've got a lot of good people out there, and they're they're helping make tech what it is. Agreed. So with that, I think we can bring it home, Carolyn. Huh? What's on your wish list for the future?
0: Okay. Well, my I think mine um, kind of crosses a lot of what we've been talking about today, and. My wish list, this is an interesting time that we're living in, um, and I'll let anyone interpret that the way they want, but my wish list for 2020 is that technology does not become the bad guy in our political process and in the election, and by that means it can have a positive role and not a negative role. Because I think a part of what has tarnished technology's reputation, whether they like it or not, and you can you know discuss foreign people, actors and all of that, is uh, what has happened over the last few years. And I think if our industry takes things seriously, my big wish is to have technology potentially be able to play... A helpful role in how we run our democracy and how we vote, for instance. Um, Being able to change, you know, open up doors to things like mobile voting Um, and being able to, and Randy, you may be able to say to me, whoa, that's filled with all kinds of problems and everything, but I've been reading up on ways, you know, to use different technologies that would enable people who can't get to the polls, people who are in nursing homes, people who are unable to vote and express their voice to be able to do so. Um, And those are the kinds of feel good stories I'd like to see and uh, in our democracy next year and not the negative ones about how various platforms enabled, you know, various foreign actors to complicate matters. We'll just leave it that way. I'm not taking a political position here, but technology for good when it comes to our political process and our electoral process versus technology for bad. And um, it doesn't help us to have a million headlines that, that show that we were not able to harness it and it had an effect on our democracy. So I'm hoping 2020, the whole election cycle, I live in New Hampshire, there is a prejud- presidential candidate here every second of the day, <laughs> uh, so I could go and I, I, you name it, I go see Pete Buttigieg down the street right now, but, or anybody else, you name him, I'd like to see it not be a negative thing in 2020, but technology is a positive.
1: I think that's a a good wish. And, and I think you're right that the past few years have really colored this discussion. And I think we've had things that have happened that people haven't seen coming. And, you know, generally, you know, the press and the citizens, you know, we all say, well, we don't like that. And I think in a lot of cases, the, the tech companies themselves are kind of feeling like, well, we don't we don't like that either. You know, we, we, yeah. we want to change that. Now again, maybe sometimes they, they stumble around in trying to share that sentiment uh, in a way that isn't going to impact you know their stockholders or or whatever. Uh, but I, I think again a lot of them do not have bad intent. You know they are, they are trying to make things fair and equitable, and they've got a vision. And, and There have been a ton of benefits, but things got very complicated, like you said.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I could go down the political argument all day. Ironically, Colorado has, where, I'm, where I live, has the most secure elections and they do it via mail. They're also the most convenient. And they're, they, it's, it's ironic. I mean, it's funny. It's like it's a low tech solution, but it's actually incredibly effective. Well, there's um, a big
0: call to do that again, to just like to scrap tech altogether and just every, everything is just snail mail paper. Which, you know what?
2: Might not be the worst thing depending on the use case. I, I think that's the funny part is it's like there you can't just shove a solution now, if it's not the right one, I'm not advocating for removing technology from everything, but I I think there's, let's do whatever the best thing is. I think on the good side of things, I can take it a little bit more on the the positive side. So my son has severe epilepsy and we've had to do a tremendous number of different medical treatments for him. Most recently, we put a a vagus nerve stimulator in his chest, which hooks up to his his vagus nerve and can basically deliver um, stimulation as whenever he has a seizure, he has has thousands of them a day. And so it it hits the worst ones and it's amazing the tech behind it. It really is. And, and it's, you, you see the, the impact it's actually made since we've had it. And that to me is the kind of stories that need to get told. Last week we had, I can't remember. It was one of our, actually, I think one of our member companies is developing an app on top of the Apple watch that can track his seizures as well. That's a positive story. That's good. There is nothing bad about that. Nothing other than, like, maybe we're mining rare earth metals the wrong way or something. But, you know, like... There's there's a positive there that I, I look at it and I say I depend on that personally. And you make it about the personal side and you think about individuals rather than taking advantage of massive data sets or figuring out ways of manipulating people to spend three dollars extra while they're eating their meal or you know some nonsense like that. I, I could go on forever on things that scare me for that. But what we're doing wish list that is a <laughs> wish list get rid of those. Um, but I think that, that's the kind of stuff too that I, I think. We sometimes forget, like we—it's a very additive thing where we're always the next thing's coming, the next thing coming. That's actually kind of good sometimes because there's really cool stuff that's coming that it's exciting for me as
1: a parent, Um, and I I think there's a lot of stories that are like that out there. I've said for a while that technology in general needs a really good PR firm because the tendency is to say, "Oh, this new piece of medical technology caused a death." It's not to say this new piece of medical technology saved a thousand lives. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and so there are a lot of really good things happening out there, and it would be great to try to change the narrative and bring in these people that are doing great things and tackle some of these big problems that we talked about at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I think the whole notion of changing the narrative is what I maybe be the overarching theme here. It's tech has so many positive use cases it's changing lives in good ways whether that is brandy like your son whether that is giving somebody a career opportunity that they would not have had otherwise all of those things they tend to though go under the radar a bit compared to the negative and yeah, so one of the things that i meant with my wish list item was that it would be nice to see a negative spin on how technology impacts our upcoming election dominate the headlines and let's talk about some of the more positive things that are out there because they don't get enough play and and that's what I think our industry needs and I think that's what our society needs
1: well said well happy holidays you too yeah um, you guys going
0: out for sushi now yeah, yeah. I
1: think that's the plan
0: yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But happy holidays to you guys as well. We're going to be jolly after
2: yeah. <laughs> we finish eating. Appreciate Thanks very
1: much for joining us again. Absolutely. Thanks for flying all the way here to do it. That's what I do. Yeah. That's
0: what I asked Seth today. I didn't know that you were at headquarters and I said, oh, Randy flew in to do volley? My God. <laughs>
1: Carolyn hasn't flown here in one time to see me to do volley.
0: Is that true? I think that is true. I think Maybe it's the true. Planes yeah.
2: are, the planes aren't regulated enough for her to get on them. Maybe we're just we're,
1: we're using technology <laughs> to our, our best advantage.
0: So. Yes, yeah, so we're using technology well. But. All, All right. right
1: well, uh, safe travels to you this week, and good luck with the presentations.
0: Thank you. I will let you know how it goes. Randy, good talking to you. Thanks for being a guest. Appreciate it, guys. Fun as always. All, All right. Take care.
2: Bye.